are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, a community striving to follow Jesus and make disciples. Join us for one of our three worship gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Happy Mother's Day. And um, we just, um, as, as I watch, I got a chance to preview that, uh, that video this week. And uh, I was inspired by the ending description of Supermom, that she is wonderful, beautiful, Amazing, all those super, superlatives. So I, I posted the following question on social media. As you think of the influence of a mom in your life, how would you finish this sentence with one word? She is. And of course, uh, I probably didn't take into account that some no longer have their mothers with them. And so some even answered she was, and that was very appropriate. But these are some of the, the responses that we got. She was extraordinary, priceless, empowering, resilient, generous, compassionate, loving, godly, inspirational. And yet my favorite was one person posted, she is my hero. And so today we want to complete that sentence uh, as we're here together as a church with just for each mom here today, and every mother that is special to us, either in our hearts, in our lives, or in our memories, she is appreciated. And we want you to know that today. And if you would, uh, those of you that aren't moms, could you just join me in thanking with applause all the mothers that are here today? Maybe you even want to look at a mom that's uh, near and dear to you. You know, Mother's Day began in our country approximately 100 years ago by a woman named Ann Jarvis, who longed to honor her mother. And in 1908, we have the first recorded incident where there was a public setting uh, where mothers were recognized in a special way on Mother's Day. And Miss Jarvis uh, led the effort in handing out to each woman present a white carnation. And uh, as a result of that, uh, that has become the kind of the tradition in our country and throughout, uh, even as a church, we have made it our practice every Mother's Day uh, to pass out a white carnation to every mother that's here. And for those of you who know that and we're looking forward to getting a carnation, I hope you're not going to be disappointed with what I'm about to share. But as we keep thinking through as a church what we do and what we've done in the past and as we look to the future, what we uh, plan to do, we, we keep trying to look through the prism of saying, okay, we want to make sure that we're not bound by tradition. We want to make sure that we're constantly thinking through what's the, the best way for us to live out our calling as a church, to be a church that's truly serious about following Jesus and making disciples. And so this year, what we said is, what if, what if we shift that thinking just a bit? that on Mother's Day, we still honor mothers, but do it maybe in a fresh new way. And so we came up with an idea and we bounced it off the lady the last couple of years that's actually got the carnations for us. And she said, I love this idea. 
bounced it off to some other mothers, and they jumped on board too. In fact, uh, Annette Fink, who's got our carnations a number of years, she said, you know, I like your idea better because by Monday, some of the carnations are looking like this one already starting to wilt. And so what we decided to do is to take the money that we've taken in the past to buy carnations for the mothers and instead invested in effort to make a difference of mothers in need in the community. And so you'll see on stage here, we have 40 uh, baby bottles that are filled with coins, okay? That's the money that we had set aside to buy carnations. And instead of doing that, we said, let's invest it in a local uh, community pregnancy center that's, that's out there trying to make a difference and, and trying to share with mothers that there's hope even if, if it's a young mother that's kind of in a t- difficult situation, that there's hope and, and, and keep going in that pregnancy and give birth to that baby. And so we're going to uh, just rally around this initiative, the, the, and it's called the Baby Bottle Boomerang. I've been practicing that all week. Baby Bottle Boomerang. Say that three times and see if you don't uh, mess up. But anyways, uh, so what we're going to do is encourage you today... Instead of grabbing a carnation, if you're a mother on the way out, instead grab a a baby bottle and fill it up with coins and bring it back. And you can see an insert in the bulletin and bring it back. And so let's, let's invest those dollars to make a difference in Jesus' name, in the community, and in the lives of people that need to know God's love in a fresh new way. So I hope that this will be a, oh, all right. I hope this will be a new tradition that will make a difference. And and our our women's ministry really rallied around this. In fact, they filled up all these bottles, you know, with coins. And, and, and Jana Johnson said, you should have looked at the eyes of the bank teller when I, they said they, we wanted $200 worth of coins. They said, really? And, uh, and so she, she endured some strange looks for this cause. And, uh, but, and I appreciate the women's ministry. They had a simulcast yesterday, had a great turnout. But they, they're leading this effort, and they've asked uh, us, uh, those that pick up a baby bottle, to, to sign your name just so that you'll bring it back, and you can see that out in the lobby. So with all that said, let's say a prayer and uh, pray for this effort and pray for our time together as we open up God's word together. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for what, what an awesome God you are. Father, we, it was in your, in your wisdom that you created uh, marriage, you created the family. You knew, Father, that we would need loving mothers to support us and give care to us. And so we thank you for all the mothers that are here and the influence they have in the lives of, of their children and their families and we thank you for them. We thank you, Father, for your word, and we thank you for Jesus and how through reading your word, we can come to see who Jesus is in a more clear way. And I pray, Father, that you'll grant me the wisdom and the ability to exalt Jesus today in this teaching in such a way that we'll be drawn to him and that we will long to follow him as never before. And so we we just pray, Father, that you'll just work and that your spirit will guide this time and speak to each of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in our attempt to honor moms, we sought to finish the sentence, mom is. In a similar way, as we seek to 
continue to honor and exalt Jesus Christ, and we're in the midst of this message series entitled Identity, we're seeking to complete the sentence, Jesus is. And we've been examining the self-identifying uh, descriptions of Jesus that are recorded in the Bible, specifically in the Gospel of John. There's seven times that Jesus says, I am something. Okay? And we're halfway through. This is the fourth identifier that we're going to be looking at in this series. We're looking at Jesus is the good shepherd. And you can read about this in your Bible in John chapter 10 or your Bible app. You can pull that up. In fact, the word that, that the Bible uses to describe Jesus as the good shepherd points out that Jesus is not just any shepherd, but he is a good shepherd. That word good is such a rich word in the original language that it can be translated beautiful, lovely, uh, noble, model. And one commentator even suggested an ideal shepherd. Now, Jesus uses this description of himself to contrast himself with many of the political, governmental, and even spiritual leaders of his day that instead of being truly good shepherds of the people, they were self-serving. They were concerned first and foremost about themselves. Unfortunately, we still see that in many leaders today. Jesus is different, a different type of leader who truly cares for you and me. So if you're taking notes, Jesus, the first point is Jesus is a good shepherd who cares for you and for me. Let's pick up the reading. We read the first 10 verses of John 10 last week. Let's pick up the reading in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Unfortunately, for many of us, this description of Jesus being the good shepherd is is maybe at first glance not necessarily a strong image. And in many of our minds, possibly through the influence of a children's Bible we had growing up or maybe some picture we saw on the wall at a church sometime in our past or maybe just kind of the impression we've got from media is that when we picture this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd, we, we picture Jesus... Uh, in a kind of a weak pose holding a lamb in his arms. And sometimes those portrayals of Jesus I don't think are very accurate because they, they view him as weak, even possibly at times even effeminate. And, and yet Jesus paints the picture here of himself as a good shepherd, that he, yes, is caring He's caring about our well-being, but he's strong enough to defend us against the wolf who seeks to harm us. Now, earlier in this passage, Jesus describes the wolf, or as we read in the first 10 verses of John 10, the thief as ultimately the evil one or evil influences who are at work to steal from us our joy, our dignity, our confidence, our self-respect, even our souls. 
And yet Jesus, on the other hand, is not only caring, but he's strong enough to make a difference in our life, a real difference. Jesus had just finished stating in verse 10, and I like how the message Bible reads in verse 10 of John 10, a thief is only here to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I love that promise of Jesus, that he came to give us a better life than we ever dreamed of. You see, Jesus truly is a caring, protective shepherd who wants the very best for us in life. And he's strong enough to deliver on that promise. He's reminding us that he's the good shepherd who won't abandon us in our, at the time of our greatest need like so many will abandon us, but that he will always be there to care for us, to protect us, and to enhance our lives if we will simply trust and follow his lead. Sometimes as our good shepherd, Jesus is even trying to protect us from ourselves. You know, in in most portrayals of a good shepherd, they've got this staff with a hook. Maybe you've wondered what that hook is. Maybe you just thought of some nursery rhyme, but that served a very real purpose. It was, it was to rescue a sheep that would maybe get in a ditch or be in harm's way. And they would use that hook to pull them out of trouble. I grew up out in the country and, and uh, we lived next to door to a farmer who owned sheep. And uh, being a, a little boy out in the country, sometimes uh, not having anybody nearby to play, I would just be outside and, and I had a vivid imagination, but sometimes I would just uh, sit and look at the sheep. And one thing that always amazed me is they're pretty dumb animals. I mean, they really are, which is really quite revealing that that's how Jesus describes us, but you know. But it was amazing to me growing up while one sheep would be apart from the flock and it couldn't figure out how to get back. They must not have very good eyesight either. And that's why they need a shepherd to provide that care for them. You see, sometimes we think we know what is best for our lives, but left to ourselves, we so often end up becoming a part of something or doing something that in the end, is really bad for ourselves. And Jesus is that good shepherd. He's like a loving parent who seeks to protect us from that which is bad for us. I came across a story this past week that I think illustrates this point. I thought it was fitting on Mother's Day. It's a story told of one mom who was out walking with her four-year-old daughter. When her girl, her daughter picked stopped and picked up something in the ground and and started to put it in her mouth. The mother took the item away from her and asked her not to do that. Her daughter quickly asked why. The mother replied, because it's been lying outside. You don't know where it's been. It's, It's dirty and it probably has germs. At this point, the daughter looked at her mom with a total admiration and asked, wow, how do you know all this stuff? The mother thought quickly and said, all moms know this stuff. It's on the mommy test. You have to know it or they don't let you to be a mommy. 
The mother and daughter walked along in silence for two or three minutes as the little girl pondered this new information about the mommy test in her mind. And finally, she said, oh, I get it. So if you don't pass the test, you have to be a daddy. The woman smiled and said, exactly. Now, as a dad and now even a granddad, I tend to resent that story until I reflect on how many times in my life as a parent and even now with my adult 20-something children, so often my wife, Jane, is the first to pick up something going on in our children's life. And she'll be the first to point it out to me and say, did you know that Anna is facing this? Or did you know that Emily's thinking about this or that Tommy is going through this? And and it's in those moments that I'm just always amazed that that it seems like moms just have radar. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I, I call it mom radar. I mean, they just... They just seem to know when something's going on in the life of one of their children. As we apply that to our examination of Jesus being the good shepherd, he is a good Lord and leader that seems to just have shepherd radar. He seems to know and sense when one of his sheep are in distress. As we keep reading, we see that Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who not only knows what is best for you and me, but but he also knows what's currently going on in our life. And if you think about it, he even knows what's going to come in the future. And because Jesus is the good shepherd, we see that he truly, our second point, he truly knows you, you and me. He knows about us. Verse 14, he keeps saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for my sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. There's several undertones of this passage I just read that I think are important for us to reflect on. One is that Jesus is foretelling here that he didn't just come for the Jewish people. Yes, that's that's where his ministry began, and that was the that was his whole emphasis when he was on earth was reaching out to those that were Jewish. But his plan all along was to come not only to provide salvation for the Jews, the people that were descendants of Abraham, but also those that don't have that background. People like many of us that have a Gentile background, a non-Jewish background. Jesus also came for us. And I tell you what, that's good news for me and, and for many of us. And I think that there's, a, there's an application for this, for that, for us as a church. You see, as a church, we say we're part of Jesus' flock and we look to Jesus as our good shepherd. But we have to remember that Jesus didn't just come for us. He came for all people. And so there needs to be a real sense in our hearts as a church that yes, we want to follow Jesus, but we want to point others 
to him so that he can provide that shepherding and leadership for others' lives, just as we need that leadership, everyone needs that leadership. One of the other undercurrents of this entire passage is that Jesus is the good shepherd that the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel had previously described in the Old Testament. We don't have time today, but you might want to go back and read Ezekiel 34, which is a beautiful description of shepherds, and actually it's a challenge to the leaders of Israel. And in Jesus' day, there was a debate among the religious scholars regarding Ezekiel 34, because if you read it, it's kind of confusing at times. Was Ezekiel talking about God being the ultimate shepherd, the God of Israel as the true shepherd? Or was he talking about a future shepherd, a coming Messiah that would provide real, good, godly leadership? And in this passage, Jesus emphatically answers that question with a resounding yes. As the good shepherd, Jesus did embody the God of Israel. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And at the same time, he was the Messiah that the prophets had predicted. You see, although Jesus, the Son of God, is distinct from our Father in heaven, He identifies with him as the unique son. And he came from the father to reveal God the father to us. And he can do this because Jesus, the son of God, truly knows the father, including his wisdom, his ways, his plan, and his purpose for our lives. So you see, we can trust Jesus because he not only cares for us, but he knows what's best for us. Now, can I just pause for a minute? As I, as I try to grasp, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I try to really wrestle with this idea that there's one God, three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What does that mean for our lives? And what does that mean for us if we want to uh, honor God with our lives and follow Jesus Christ and be led by the Holy Spirit? I'm trying to wrestle with that a lot in my heart and mind. But one of the things that just boggles my mind as I try to grasp this is that that in the that God came and visited our planet in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And although he's big enough to know the stars in the universe that our telescopes have not even discovered, he also knows the details of our lives. He's on record of saying he even knows the number of hairs on our heads. And of course, for some of us, he doesn't have to work too hard to know that. But, but for the others of us, That's just amazing that he knows the details of our lives, that he cares about them. And that although God is a big God and that Jesus is an awesome good shepherd and he's providing leadership for anyone who will follow him, there's no detail, problem, or dilemma that we might face in life that's too small for him to be concerned because he is the good shepherd. The shepherds of Jesus' day often had nicknames for their sheep. They were able to call them out by name, whether it was Whitey, Curly, or Snowball. Here Jesus is describing himself as that loving shepherd that knows us by name and longs to have a personal relationship with us. Now, here's the, here's the question for each and every one of us. Jesus is on record of saying, He knows us. 
He knows the details of our lives. The question that we need to ask today is do we know Jesus personally? I didn't ask, do you know things about Jesus? If you've been coming these four weeks, you can describe he's the bread of life. He, you know, he's, he's the light of the world. You can say he's the gatekeeper, as we talked about last week. He's the good shepherd. I'm not asking, do you know things about Jesus? I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Is he guiding your everyday life, your decisions, and your future? If you can't say with confidence, yes, I know Jesus, then we want to help you know him. You see, it's our heart's desire here at Southwest that everyone that worships here, everyone that attends here has a personal relationship with Jesus. That's why we offer on a regular basis the discovery class that Andrew talked about earlier because we wanna make sure that we go beyond just the surface of Sunday morning and the weekend worship gatherings that we help each person answer that question, do I know Jesus? You see, we want every person, and I know my heart's desire is that every person that attends here has the confidence that they are in a secure saved relationship with Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Jesus is making it clear to us that he's inviting all of us to become one of his sheep, to become part of his flock, regardless of our past, regardless of even maybe problems we're facing in the present. Jesus still invites us to be a part of his flock. You see, isn't it good news to know that Jesus doesn't see us in view of our past or maybe even our present problems. He sees us through the prism of what we can become as one of his followers. Yes, he truly is a good shepherd that not only cares for you and me, not only knows you and me, but he was willing to sacrifice for you and me. In verse the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. We get a glimpse of the crucifixion and the resurrection there. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You see, once again, we see that Jesus The Messiah is both one, unified with God the Father, and yet he's also a distinct person loved by the Father and that he had the freedom to willingly choose to obey the Father. I don't know about you, but it just means a little bit more to me to know that Jesus is that good shepherd that didn't have to lay down his life for me, but he chose to lay down his life for me. And for you. In just a few moments, we're going to honor Jesus and remember his obedience through the act of taking communion. To remember the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us. And yet, just like the practice of honoring mothers once a year on Mother's Day should hopefully remind all of us to be kind and respectful and considerate of our mothers throughout the year. 
So the practice of honoring Christ once a week in communion should serve as a reminder for us that we should respond to him on a daily basis and that we should honor him with our lives every day by our personal response. So let's conclude our time together today by briefly looking at what is an appropriate personal response to Jesus. Well, as we keep reading in John 10, we'll discover together what an appropriate personal response to Jesus is, the good shepherd. It begins in verse 25, where he says, listen. Jesus says, if we are his good shepherd, we will listen. In verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. By the way, this is the context where as Jesus is describing himself in all these ways, that many of the people that were questioning his identity said, will you ever come out and tell us if you're the Messiah? And Jesus says, I have been telling you. And in verse 25, he says, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Now catch this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In these three verses, we see clearly a distinguishing criterion uh, of what it means to be one of Jesus' sheep. It's one who listens to his voice. Now, personally, I even talked about this last week, but I've been thinking a lot the last couple weeks as I've been reading John chapter 10 and studying it and digging into what does it mean to listen to the voice of God? In my search, I came across some thought-provoking words from a young author named A.M. Beale. You know him as Andrew, okay? And in his recent book that he just published, Off Church Grounds, by the way, I asked Andrew, I've been reading, and I said, this is really good, Andrew. I said, uh, are you thinking about writing a sequel? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, what are you going to title? He says, further off church grounds. So that's his idea. But I want to read to you a section that he, he wrote that I really touched me as I've been wrestling with this thought of listening to the voice of God. He's writing to students. He says, students know they're supposed to read the Bible. But if you look at anything as something you're supposed to do, then it seems like a chore. You're supposed to keep your room clean. You're supposed to take out trash on Tuesday nights. When you throw the Bible in that list of supposed, then, then you're robbing yourself of the joy that can come from it. Andrew goes on to write, I wonder what would happen if we stopped calling it the Bible and started calling it God's voice. At its most basic, the Bible is the voice of God, telling all who read it his incredible desire for all of us to have a relationship with him. This is the message of the Bible or God's voice. It's saying to open up the Bible app, pick up a hard copy or hear his word to allow this same message to invade your life. Now, here's my question for you. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, or maybe if you want to be one of Jesus' sheep, are you listening? Are you taking time every day to listen for the voice of God? We can do this by spending time reading his word. 
We can do this by attending opportunities like this to hear God's word taught, to attend a small group where we hear God's word discussed, or maybe spending time in reflection and meditation and prayer, thinking about some truths of God's word. Or maybe as some of you have maybe discovered like me, I've discovered recently, I'm kind of slow to the game of technology, but I've recently discovered the, the, the wonderful world of podcasts. And so what I do on, on the weekends, you know, I, I deliver a message three times. And then on Monday, I'm kind of drained. And so when I take a personal day and work around the house, what I've learned to do is that while I'm mowing the yard, I, I put on a podcast and I listen with my earbuds in while I'm mowing the yard. It makes it go a lot better. And I listen to preachers in, in Texas and, 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 and Florida and Illinois and California. And I listen to some speakers around the world. And, and by the way, one time I was mowing the yard and I accidentally bumped my, my iPhone and it went from uh, one speed to two speed. And he was talking twice as fast. I didn't realize what I'd done. I thought, man, this guy talks fast. But I found out I can listen to more messages while I'm mowing my yard if I pick up the speed a little bit. So anyways, but, but I'm learning that that's another opportunity for me to listen to the voice of God. Are you taking time to listen to the shepherd's voice in your life every day? And in the final statement of Jesus that we read in verse 27, it's implied that if we listen to our shepherd's voice, that we will also follow him. Jesus talked about this back in verse 4 of John 10, the importance of our second uh, personal application, follow the teachings of the good shepherd. In verse 4, he says, after he gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Although we're just getting a glimpse of this common description of godly leadership as it's described in the Bible as being a shepherd, we actually see this emphasis throughout the Bible. We see it even how it describes leaders in the church. It describes, the Bible describes leaders of the church as shepherds, elders, or pastors. In fact, as we get to the very end of John's gospel, we read as Jesus speaks into the heart and life of one of his first followers, Peter. This is what he had to say to him. In John 21, verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. You see, part of following Jesus also means that we take care of others who are following Jesus. Or as my personal coach, Brandon Gindon, puts it, not everyone is an organizational leader, but every person is a disciple and therefore a disciple maker. And our goal here at Southwest is to create a, a shepherding culture that enables every person at Southwest to provide care for others who are learning what it means to follow Jesus. Personally, I'm very motivated to make sure that we really embrace this shepherd culture we're talking about today because as the church grows and as we get more and more new people, I'm finding it harder and harder to get everybody's name down. I'm trying, so bear with me if you're new. And also, I find it challenging to follow up with all the prayer requests and needs, and I'm trying, but but every time I see the needs are growing, I see the need for more and more people to take on the role of being a shepherd. 
Yes, elders and staff members are to provide shepherding pastoral care, but but if we really understand Jesus teaching every person in the flock is to look out for others in the flock. Are you willing to follow Jesus' call in your life and care for others? Our final reminder is to truly trust Jesus, the good shepherd. In verse 28, Jesus says, I give them, my sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one, this this is a great promise, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus promises that we can trust him that if we will become one of his sheep and follow him with all of our hearts and all of our lives, that we can have confidence. We can have eternal security. If you don't have that eternal security today, please let us know. Let me know. We long for you to have it. For those of you who have come into a relationship with Jesus, then take to heart the promise of Jesus that you can totally trust him. That if, that, that, in fact, I believe that in times of communion, it's a time for us to remind ourselves that we don't trust what we do. We don't trust our effort. We don't trust our works. We don't trust the good things that we might seek to do in life. Are those things important? Yes but we're called to trust the one who is our good shepherd. As we shared earlier, our practice of honoring Jesus weekly in communion will remind us to live our lives each and every day, living out a personal response of listening, following, and trusting the one who came from heaven to be our good shepherd. As we have this time of communion, I wanna ask you, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself, your good deeds, your, your intellect, your works? Or are you trusting the only one that can save you? And that's Jesus Christ. And as we take communion, let's put our trust fully in him. But let's allow this to be a time of honoring him that also propels us into a week of listening, following, and truly believing. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for these self-descriptions of Jesus in scripture. There's so much we can learn from them. We're so grateful that Jesus came to be our good shepherd. Help us, Lord, to not try to do it our own way, but help us learn to be obedient sheep, willing to follow his lead. Help us, Father, not only follow him, but also give care to others who are following him. And help us, Father, to learn to listen every day to our Savior and our Lord's lead to his voice in our life. Help us during this time of communion, hear his voice speak into our heart 
that he cares for us, that he knows us, and that he loves us so much that he willingly laid his life down for us. It's in his name we pray.